All right, well, good morning. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. I know we have some of our Bridge family joining us and many others, and we're excited uh, to have you with us. My name is Andrew. Like Pastor Jim said, I'm one of the pastors on staff, and uh, I'm excited to be able to bring the word today. First things first, I want to go back to last week. I want to reference the sermon that was preached last weekend here at the bridge. Pastor Jim uh, gave just a word in season for our church. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to watch that sermon, go back, not now, but go back after today's message and watch that. He talked about how we are in the world, but we are not of the world, how as believers we don't respond like the world does, and we respond with faith, hope, and love. Now I'm going to stop right there because I cannot re-preach the message nearly as well as Pastor Jim preached it the first time. So again, go back and check that out. Uh, I wanted to begin our time together today by talking about really a little bit lighter subject. I know that if you've been watching the news, if you've been on social media, things are... uh, there's just a, a gloominess that it, that is kind of pervasive in the news right now, and certainly there's reason for that. But I, I thought it'd be fun uh, to, to start our time together today with just a little bit of a lighter note. Uh, many of you are experiencing the reality now of what it means to be quarantined, what it means to be uh, uh having some social distancing. And and so I thought I'd just share what that looks like in my home. Uh, I am married. I have a beautiful and talented wife. Her name is Nicole, and she is such a blessing to me. And she has been taking the brunt of this quarantining with our our kids. We've got two boys. Uh, Mason is our oldest. He's five. And then you have Landon, our youngest, who's two. And, and they're incredible boys. They're so well behaved. They're they're incredibly disciplined. Until there's a quarantine, apparently. That's what we found out these past couple of weeks. It's been a little crazy. Maybe some of you parents out there of younger children, you could relate to that. Let me just hear a good amen right now in the comment section. I know you know what I'm talking about. I never knew there could be so many fusses and so many fights and so many tears and daddy, mommy. And and so we have utilized time out like it's going out of style. We've utilized spankings, all that good stuff. And uh, the other day, I came home this past week, came home one day, and uh, I noticed something kind of strange. There was a piece of painter's tape across the living room floor, stretched out all the way down the middle of the living room. And so, I, of course, I asked, I, hey, what's this? What kind of game did you guys play? I thought it was a game. And my wife told me, she said, Babe, I am so tired. I'm so over these kids fussing and fighting. I'm so over them bickering. So here's what I said. I said, here's your spot. And I looked and there were name tags. And this is Mason's side. And this is Landon's side. And I just told them, you know what? If you go on his side, then you're in trouble. And if you go on his side, then I don't care who did what. But if you're on the other one's side, then you're in trouble. You're the one. And so I, I laughed. And, and, and then uh, 
like most kids do, within 24 hours, they found a loophole in the system. See, they did what, let me preach here a little bit. They did what a lot of you guys do, a lot of us. Let me throw myself in there. What a lot of us do with sin, they got right up to the line, and they discovered that as long as I'm still on my side, I can smack my brother, and everything's good. Mom doesn't know what to do. And so now, if you were to go into my living room, and you can't because we're quarantined, but if you were to be able to go into my living room, you would see that there is one piece of painter's tape, and then about two, two and a half, three foot, there is another piece of painter's tape so that their hands can't even touch each other. And so when we've had enough, we just send them to their side. Uh, that's an idea. That's a bless. Some of y'all, God sent you to this sermon today to be able to get that idea. Anyway, uh, just having a little fun here to start out, but uh, here's the reality of where we are, guys. We, we know that these are serious times. You know, for the past several weeks, uh, COVID-19, uh, it was a number somewhere. It was a statistic. It was Italy. It was China. It was somewhere. But the thing that has happened, especially this past week, more than really ever, is now we are feeling the effects, and now it's not a number, it's a name. You know someone who has been def- affected. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that you know someone with the virus, although you may, and we're certainly praying, but the economic effects, layoffs at, at jobs, small business owners are feeling the, the pressure and the tension of, of what all of this means. And maybe you've been on the other side of that and you've been uh, laid off for a season. And so I just want you to know we take all of those things incredibly seriously and we want to pray with you and for you. We've already mentioned the Connect card several times, but I want to mention that once more. The chat host is going to put that up uh, because we really and truly do want to pray with you and for you. We decided, we met together as a a preaching team, a group of pastors uh, this past week, and we said, okay, we knew Pastor Jim was going to kind of give us an orienting message. here's Here's what we do as a church. Here's how we respond. But after that, we decided, okay, what should we do? You know, we were in a sermon series called Word, and, uh, the idea became, you know, we don't want to be tone deaf. Things have changed. Everything's changed. I mean, you know that uh, with all of the news proclamations and everything that's going on, it seems like even now things are still changing uh, by the hour. And so we thought, should we change it up? And here's what we decided after a lot of prayer, after a lot of uh, talking through it, what better could we be doing as a church What better could I be doing as a pastor than to be imploring you to get in your word, to be in our Bibles, to be reminded of the promises of God? You know, one of the ones that I ran across this week um, was John chapter 14, verse 27. This is Jesus talking here. 
He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. How comforting is that? Jesus left us his peace. And then he goes on to say, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so when we get into our word, we, we are reminded of things like this. We are reminded of how powerful the God we serve is, how incredible, how mighty, and it doesn't matter what's happening all around us, our God is still on the throne. Amen. Amen. So what better could we be doing than jumping into the word of God? So we're back with week two of word. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you a, a little recap because I know uh, maybe some of you didn't see the first message. Maybe some of you, uh, maybe some of you didn't see it. Maybe some of you are brand new. And so let me give you a kind of a little recap. Here's what we said. This book right here is absolutely amazing. And really, we call it a book, but in fact, it's a collection of 66 books written by 40 authors over a span of a, uh, 1,500 years, in different languages even. And it's so miraculous that in spite of all of that, this book has one central theme and that is God's redemptive plan for mankind, that he was sending a Messiah. Uh, theologians call it the scarlet thread. It runs all the way through Scripture. It is the good news. And later, we knew it was the good news of Jesus Christ. See, everything in your Bible points to it. All of the Old Testament looks ahead to a Messiah that is coming. To, to one day, God and, God and sinners were separated and we had no way back to a holy God. We had no hope of heaven. And yet, because of what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross, now our hope is restored. And so in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Messiah. In the first four books of the, uh, of the New Testament, the Gospels, uh, that's with Jesus with us. They were looking at Jesus. And then in the, the remainder of the New Testament, they were looking back at Jesus. They were saying, let's look at the things he taught. Let's look at what he did. Let's look at what he said when he was here with us. Let's look at what he did on that cross. And so all of scripture has one central theme. It's all about the gospel. And that word means good news. Here's the other thing we talked about in uh, the message from two weeks ago, we talked about that there are many evidences that this Bible is real. There's general evidences. Of course, we know the Bible says it's true, but even when you look in history, even when you look in other places, there are general evidences, there are specific evidences all around. They abound that this 
book is true, that what it says happened really happened. And so I want to encourage you. I'm almost, I'm almost giving you a playlist now, aren't I? Uh, so go back and watch Pastor Jim's message, and then go back and watch uh, your location pastor preach week one of Word. Uh, but, but if you uh, weren't with us, seriously, I think that would be uh, time well, I'm not even going to say spent, I'm going to say invested, time well invested uh, to learn about all those different evidences. And then kind of the way that we wrapped up that time was we said that the Bible is the owner's manual for life. And I know your location pastor may have put different packaging around that. Some of us referred to it as a compass or a north star or whatever. But, but you get what I'm saying. There's this, the, the word is a guide. If you want to know how to be a godly parent or you want to know how to uh, manage your finances in a godly way or you want to know how to have a, a good marriage, Scripture gives us examples. It tells us how it really and truly is the owner's manual for life. All right, so all of that was review. I don't get charged for any of that. We're going to start the sermon now. And uh, today, I want to talk to you about how to have a spiritual hunger. You know, how can we hunger for this word? How can we want to spend time with it? Now, as a church, for the past, uh, for the past week, we have been in a time of fasting. <clears throat> Many of you know that. If that is news to you today, can I encourage you, would you join us? You still have two weeks, 14 days. So I want to ask you, would you join us and be a part of that with us every day, Monday through Friday, our, our pastors, including myself, uh, several pastors on staff, we're doing a Facebook Live from the Bridge Facebook page, and, and we're talking about a prayer point, and we're talking about uh, a scripture that we just want to put all of our hearts around, all, all of us as a church, to, to kind of gather around and, and, and to be pointing our prayers, you know, in the same direction. And, and also, every day, no matter whether you can make it to that Facebook Live or not. Uh, also, all seven days of the week uh, on our Facebook page, we're doing that prayer guide and that scripture. And, and so I want to encourage you to join us in this fast. If you're not even sure what fasting is, we've got a resource that will tell you more about it. But really, truly, it, it's just simply kind of pushing the plate away. It's pushing some things away, making a sacrifice, and making room for more time with God to spend time in prayer and to spend time in Bible study and growing closer to him. And, and so one of the things that I know has happened, it's no mistake, it's no accident that we are in a season of fasting and I am talking to you about hunger. Some of you this past week, you experienced physical hunger and that's good. Physical hunger reminds us to eat, to go seek nourishment, all those good things. But you know what I, I kind of find amazing? I don't know if you've ever done a prolonged fast. Uh, if you have, then you know one of the things that happens on the third day that you're fasting, it's amazing. On the third day, the first couple days, you're hungry, you're thinking about it. It's, uh, but this amazing thing happens. On day three, that hunger really just begins to dissipate. 
It, it does. I, I can't explain it. There are some scientific reasons why I looked that up this week, and I'm not even going to try to pretend to describe all that to you, but I know that it's true. That physical hunger just dissipates, and you haven't eaten. You haven't done anything to address your physical hunger, but, but at a certain point, your body says, okay, we're not getting food. All right. Well, guys, I want to tell you, I believe the, th- the same thing happens spiritually. I really do. I believe that the same thing happens spiritually. That we go for a while and we're not in church. We go for a while and we're not reading our Bible. We're not in our word. We're not doing our devotion. We're not having our quiet time. And little by little, next thing you know, a week goes by, two weeks, a month, some time goes by and and you haven't even missed it. You haven't even noticed that that spiritual hunger really and truly has just dissipated. And so I want to ask you a question or a couple of questions today about spiritual hunger, spiritual hunger. And they are, are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God? And are you hungry for the word of God? Do you have a desire to spend time with your heavenly father? Do you have a desire to be in this book right here and to read? Is there that desire? Do you have that hunger? And if you don't, hey church, can I just tell you, I I pray to God, if you don't, that that now all of a sudden you are reminded, whoa, where, where did that hunger go? And that alarms would start flashing in your head. Boop, 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 boop. Lights would start flashing, all that stuff. Because God created us to have intimacy with him. And if that spiritual hunger has kind of gone dormant, my prayer is that today it would be awakened. Now here's what I want to do uh, with the time that we have together. I want to show you in a portion of scripture uh, a people who uh, developed a spiritual hunger. They found uh, a spiritual hunger. Open your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 8 or turn on your iPads or however it is you receive the word of God. While you guys are looking for Nehemiah chapter 8, let me just kind of give you some background on what has happened here. So uh, Jerusalem is, has been in ruins. Jerusalem has been torn down. Uh, Judah had been conquered by the people of Babylon. And so right before this time in Nehemiah chapter 8, there were a couple of key people, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. They came and they did a physical rebuild. They rebuilt the temple. They rebuilt the, the walls around the city, the defensive walls around Jerusalem. And so there's been a physical rebuild. As a matter of fact, when I told you that we were going to be reading in in the book of Nehemiah, maybe some of you assumed I was going to be talking about teamwork. Because uh, oftentimes when you hear the book of Nehemiah preached, uh, the thing that pastors go to and that we love, we talk about vision and we talk about teamwork and synergy. Because what Nehemiah was able to do with God's help is absolutely amazing. They rebuilt the defensive walls all around Jerusalem. It was going to be this humongous task. They thought it was going to take years. And, and yet, 
with God's help and in the face of opposition. They, they rebuilt these walls with a sword on one side and with uh, building materials in the other hand because they expected enemies to come and attack them at any time. And yet in the face of all of that, they rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days. You may be asking, well, why were the walls torn down? It's because 70 some odd years earlier, about 70 years earlier, the people of Israel had been consistently unfaithful to God. They had a covenant with God and they were not honoring that covenant. They wanted to keep God at arm's distance. I want him to be close enough to do things for me, but I want him to be far enough away that when I sin... And when I do what I want to do, and when I'm unfaithful to him, that I don't feel bad, that I just can keep doing that. And they they kept God at at arm's distance. And the result was uh, the nation of Babylon. The Babylonians rose up against the kingdom of Judah. They rose up against Jerusalem, and they completely overwhelmed them. And it took a little bit of time, but uh, I'm really summarizing here, guys. But it took a little bit of time, but eventually Judah went down. Jerusalem went down, uh, and they were taken. Many of the people of Israel were taken captive and they were taken to Babylon and so now again like I just described to you now the people are coming back it's been 70 years and there's been this physical rebuild and really uh, earlier in Nehemiah you see the physical rebuild but now in chapter 8 we're turning a corner you guys with me stay with me now in Nehemiah chapter 8 we're turning a corner and now there's a spiritual rebuild let's read verse 1 verse 1 All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, so he's the chief priest, uh, they told him to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So all these people, they come together, they assemble, and they request the word. They want the word of God. That's point number one. They requested the word. I hope you'll write that down. I hope you'll take notes. I know you're at home, uh, but I hope you'll take notes with us. These people, this is the first ever Bible conference. All these people are gathered together and they request the word. Now, here's what I want to do. We're kind of going to go in order except for this next scripture. I want to go all the way down to verse 5 because I want you to be able to get a mental picture of what's happening here. I want you to be able to see this in your mind. So we're going to go down to verse 5, get the context of what's happening. Then we're going to go back up to verse 2. Let's do it. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. In another verse in Nehemiah chapter 8, it says that he was on a wooden platform. So he is, he's kind of higher than the rest of the people. He's on a platform, and, and he's above them. And so he opens the book, and then I love this. The people all stood up. Church, I'm going to tell you, that right there is beautiful to me. The people all stood up. Now remember, who were the people that were standing up? 
We're talking about these Israelites who had just spent the past several days, 52 days, rebuilding the wall. They had spent the time before that rebuilding the temple. They were tired. They were weary. I'm just imagine, let, let my preacher's creativity just go a little bit here, if you will, these guys are tired. They've, they've got calluses on their hands. And their faces are sunburned. And their muscles are weary. And they've been going hard at it. And every day from sun up till sundown, they've just been going after it, trying to get it back right, trying to get this physical rebuild done. And now, thank you, Lord, the physical rebuild's done, and they're absolutely worn out, and now they're requesting the word. But because the word was open, because this book was open, they, had, they placed such a high value on it. They placed such a reverence on the word of God that they stood up. I love that. I love that. You know, I, I shared with my location two weeks ago, the problem for every, every single one of us is not accessibility. As a matter of fact, if I were to challenge you, go in your home right now, take the next moment, and don't do this really, but find five Bibles and bring them in front of you. Most homes would have no trouble doing that. The problem is not the accessibility of the Word of God. The problem is, in many cases, that we don't value it highly enough. That's not these people. These Israelites, they valued the word of God. And so they stood up. Let's keep going. Verse 2. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak until noon. Let me just stop right there. He read it aloud. Think about that. From daybreak until, that's like six hours. Read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. My goodness, talk about placing a high value on the word of God. These people stood. They stood for six hours. So just picture that in your mind. They've got blisters on their feet from the hard work and toil. They, I mean, I know I kind of keep going back to everything that they've just done, but, but I want you to be able to picture this. And yet, in spite... Uh, they had every reason in the world to say, hey, God, is it okay if we just stay seated on this one? But they didn't do it. They were developing a hunger for God and his word. And for six hours, they stood. And scripture tells us they listened attentively. There were no illustrations. There were no funny stories. There were no anecdotes. There was no uh, poems. Or, there was nothing just for six. And they, they stood and they listened. 
You know, we know what was read to them because we know uh, the books of the law of Moses. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, And so I'm just picturing this in my head. Ezra stands up before them. All the people rise. It's early in the morning, and he starts out like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good. You've read Genesis. You you know what I'm doing You get the point. It was just them reading. But notice something. It wasn't that Ezra requested that they all gather. It was the people who gathered and they requested that Ezra read. They requested the word. That's point number one. And that goes right to point number two. They didn't just listen to it. They didn't just hear it. Number two, they responded to the word. They responded to it. Let's go down to verse number six. Then Ezra, uh, then Ezra praised the Lord, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. That means it's true, it's true. We believe it. Praise God, we believe it. It's right. We've been missing it for all this time, but it is true. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In other words, Ezra reads the book of the law, and when he finishes, the people were not content just to hear the word. They responded to it. They broke out into worship. Again, allow me just to picture this. You know, for 70 plus years, they've been in Babylonian exile. For 70 years, they've been in Babylon. And and I'm picturing that the older, uh, the the, the, the saints of God, the uh, the older in this gathering, they remembered going to the original temple in Jerusalem. And they remembered what it was like. And, and, And now they're weeping, they're ecstatic, they're worshiping because now they're back. I'm picturing the younger ones in this gathering. For years, they've heard grandma and grandpa, dad and mom, they've heard people that they know and trust talk about what it was like in Jerusalem, what it was like to serve Yahweh. And we messed it up, but I'm telling you, if you ever get back to Jerusalem, don't you dare mess it up. You better have a hunger for God's word. And and so I just love this scene. Here they are. They hear the word of God and it moves them. They They can't stay where they are. They aren't contented just to sit back down, but they break out in to worship and then out of that worship I want you to look at what happens next verse 7 the Levites instructed the people in the law while they were standing there they read from the book of the law of God now I want you to read this next part with me making it clear and giving the meaning 
Here's what I know about you because I've been pastoring here for so long. You did not just read with me. So I want you to read this with me, everybody in your living room. Let's create some holy peer pressure here. Let's go count of three. One, two, three. Making it clear and giving the meaning. And let me just finish it out. So that the people understood what was being read. I love that. You had Ezra, he's like the chief priest. Then you have these Levites, they're the priests. And they come and they say, hey, did you hear what Ezra said? Here's what that means. Do you understand that? Or is that part clear to you? Let me give you some explanation on that. Here's what God wants from us. Here's how we can honor him. Here's how we can obey him. And and these, these Levites, they make it clear. They want people to understand What's being said? Guys, can I tell you what I love so much about our church? I don't care which location you go to, and, and this is not a brag on you know me or us or anybody. This is just one our heart at the bridge is really and truly we want people, we want to make the word of God clear, and we want to be able to give people the meaning. We say it in a little bit different way here. We talk about taking the cookies and putting them on the bottom shelf. I don't care if you've been following God for 50 years or if you logged on like 45 minutes ago and you're just kind of checking out this whole God, Jesus, Bible, church thing. You're not even sure you believe in it. You're not even sure about any of it. I'm glad you're here. But our goal every week, our goal at all locations is to take the cookies and put them on the bottom shelf to make it understandable. So I know what the criticism might be right now. Oh, so you're saying you're not deep. No way. No way. I would tell you it takes a lot of effort and intentionality to make it simple. You know, I heard it said, that which you don't understand fully, you can't explain simply. Now, again, I'm not trying to, you know, say, look at us. We're so, I'm just telling you, that is our heart. Do we always get there? Probably not. I hope so. I pray so. But our heart is to make it clear. Our heart is that you would walk out of here going, okay, now I know how to apply this to my life. My hope is that when you log off today, you would say, okay, now I understand how I can apply that to my life. Let me keep going. That's exactly what these Levites did too. And now here's the result. The result is found in verse 12. Here's what it says. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and to celebrate with great joy. They're celebrating now. They're ecstatic. Celebrate goods. Come on. And so they're celebrating with great joy because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. They requested the word, they responded to it in worship, they responded to it with celebration because now they understood. And then lastly, number three, they stayed in the word. They stayed in the word. It wasn't just that they had a spiritual hunger one day and they got a meal and then they were good. No, no, no. This hunger was insatiable. This, this day that Ezra stands on this platform and all the people stand up and he reads and they're making it clear. That wasn't a one-time thing. Look at what verse 18 says. 
day after day. I love that phrase. Underline that in your Bible. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days. It awoke a hunger in them. That one day at the water gate with all the people in the town square, that one day when Ezra stood on that platform, it awoke in them a spiritual hunger that kept on going. And, it, and, and just like a physical hunger, you don't just eat one time. Come on, how many of y'all are in quarantine and you know you don't just eat one time? All our quarantine snacks are almost gone because you eat and then you want to eat again later. And you eat again later. Hear me, guys. Hear me. All eyes on me. I know some of you may have gone to another tab. Some of you may be trying to get some dishes done or put some clothes away or something. Just, just come back. Everybody look at me real quick. I promise you I'm closing. You may be here today, and you may not have that spiritual hunger. I want to tell you, that's okay. It's not okay if you stay there. It's not okay if you stay there, but I believe that God may have uh, directed you to this service at this time for this moment to hear a red-headed preacher tell you, if you haven't had a spiritual hunger, that's okay. But my prayer is, my challenge to you is to go out of here, to leave this service, to when you log off, that you would develop a spiritual hunger. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Andrew, that sounds good. How in the world do you do that? You develop a spiritual hunger the exact same way that you develop a physical hunger. By being around good food. That's just true, isn't it? You get around good food. You know, uh, I think about my grandma. I, I, I didn't call her grandma. Let me just be real with you. I was going to try to act. I called her my Mima. That's some Wayne County stuff right there. I called her my Mima McLeod. Now, here's what I want to tell you about my Mima McLeod. She could cook. Oh, boy, she could cook. She made so many things good, made so many things well. You ever heard the expression, food so good, make you want to slap your mama? I've never slapped my mama. I want you to know that, but I'm just saying I understand. Well, one of the things that my me mama cloud would, would make is she would make a blueberry cobbler. Oh, she had a blueberry bush in her yard, and, and oftentimes she would, uh, during those summer days when my sister and I were out of school, she would get us to come over and we would pick those blueberries. And then we hated that part, but we loved the result because from then on out for the rest of the year, whenever we wanted some, my Meemaw would make us a blueberry cobbler. Oh, crumbly crust on top goodness in the middle. She'd come out of the oven. It'd be a little bit warm and you would put a scoop of cold vanilla ice cream on there. Amen. Who's getting a little hungry right now? That's kind of the point. 
That's kind of the point. I would go over to my Mima's house and I hadn't even thought about being hungry. Hadn't even thought about being hungry. And I'd get over there around good food. All of a sudden, I'm about to starve. Hey, I'll take it a step further. There'd be times I'd go to my Mima's house and I had just eaten. I mean, I just got done eating. And I'd get over there around that good food and all of a sudden, well, yeah, I'll take some to go. I mean, you know what? Just make me a plate. I'll eat a little bit here. When you get around good food, you get hungry. Spiritually speaking, what does that mean for you? Get in that word. Get in the word of God. Maybe you say, Pastor Andrew, I don't even know that I understand it. Get you a good Bible commentary. It explains what you just read. Then here's the other thing you do. Uh, Listen to good Bible teachers. Listen to good pastors, good sermons. If you don't know where to start, uh, reach out to your pastor. Reach out to your location, pastor. We'll recommend some guys for you. You get in the Word. You get around good spiritual food. Hey, here's another one. You listen to worship songs. You immerse yourself in worship. And all of a sudden, it awakens that spiritual hunger in you. You know, I shared with you earlier that that all of Scripture, all of the Word points to Jesus. Whether it points ahead to the Messiah, it looks at Him, or it points back to Him. It is all about Jesus. God wants you to know that He has a plan for your life. That He wants to be reconciled with you. And He wants to spend eternity with you in heaven. But it starts with us making Him the King of our heart. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now, wherever you are. If you'll bow your head with me and say this prayer and mean it, it will be the first step. Now, you'll want to keep your relationship with him current. You'll want to get in the word. You'll want to daily keep that relationship going. But you can begin that today. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father. I want you to be the king of my heart. I want the gospel to be the good news for me. So God, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I pray that you would come live in my heart. And I pray that you would help me to live this out each and every day. God, I'm tired of running. I want to be saved. I pray it now in Jesus' name. 